0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting
1: a series of broadcasts on the subject of Jesus as our King, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was explaining that when the Lord Jesus returns, He is going to rule for a thousand years, and when he does, when he completes that term, then there will be a final rebellion or a final revolution against him as king. And I was explaining that it seems to be odd to me to consider that the people would actually rebel against the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect king, for a thousand years, after a thousand years of ruling perfectly. There would actually be a rebellion or a revolution, and of course it is headed up by Satan, that's true, but the people can make decisions also, the people can make choices, it is the people who are deceived by the devil. But how can the people be deceived, even in the presence of the Lord Jesus, after all that I believe he will do? Well, it goes back to the issue, or to the question, Of what kind of an effect will Jesus have on the lives of unbelievers? That is the general question. To explain this, consider, for example, how we normally try to encourage people to be holy or how we encourage people to be righteous or obedient to God. Let me consider that. If I consider that first, then I think you'll find it very easy to understand why people or how people could possibly rebel against the Lord even after he rules for a thousand years. For example, there's one teacher who's probably the most popular when it comes to the subject of grace, or being identified as a teacher of grace. I, of course, would make him look like a Pharisee easily, but this particular person publicly said that when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, that the Sermon on the Mount describes exactly how we should live, how we should be living our lives, and if we were totally and absolutely obedient to all of the commands or ordinances that were given through the Sermon on the Mount, that we would be the ultimate or the most ultimate evangelists that have ever lived. That if we were to live in obedience to all that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, that people would be so amazed, people would be so excited, they would just rush to us and beg us, literally, to tell them about our God. To tell them about the Lord Jesus so that they also could be as wonderful as we are. So that they also could experience life as we experience it. That's what he says. That's exactly what he believes. He really believes that through your repentance and obedience, people will come to believe in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, this is often used against many Christians by unbelievers, and believers will say, okay, then, well, until you are righteous and holy and obedient and good people, until then, we're not going to believe in the Lord Jesus. A lot of unbelievers will then use that belief against many Christians. I have seen that happen many times personally. But when you consider this particular belief, that's where a lot of other people get this idea that it's necessary For a Christian to be holy and righteous, otherwise they will not be effective in their evangelism. Or if we're going to support the work of any Christian, we have to make sure that they are as holy and righteous as they possibly could be. Otherwise, we're not really using our resources very well because we could find somebody else who should be able to do it better, who would have a better testimony, for example, Not a testimony in the sense that they had sin and they overcame it or they managed to get through life in the midst of it or the Lord managed to teach them things through it. No, not a testimony like that, but a testimony in the sense of I am holy and righteous and obedient to God and so you should believe in Jesus because that's what I believe and that is what has made me into the kind of person that I am right now. That's what people actually believe. That's what people are communicating all the time. I hear it all the time in the vast majority of places, out of the mouths of the vast majority of ministers and preachers and pastors, that's what people generally believe. They really do believe that. But if that's true, then we should consider the most ultimate example, the most ultimate of examples that has ever lived, and that would be Jesus himself. If we were to consider the Lord Jesus, who lived here on earth, he functioned here on earth. He worked, he walked, he talked, he ate, he interacted with many people, and he was totally and absolutely obedient to everything that he had to say on the Sermon on the Mount. He was the one who accomplished that. He was the one who was fully, in our eyes, repentant and obedient to God. He fulfilled everything concerning the Sermon on the Mount and concerning these matters. And yet, Even though he did that, even though he was absolutely perfect, how many people believed in him? How many people followed him? If you were to look at the end of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, which is when we normally like to evaluate these things, you know, how did you do during your life here on earth? If we were to look at at Jesus as an example, hardly anybody was following him at the end of his ministry. And when he was captured and put on trial and crucified, even his own disciples ran off and were in hiding. And so if he is the ultimate example, then you should believe in him as the ultimate example. If you believe that if a person is obedient to the Sermon on the Mount, they will be the greatest evangelists, then you should believe that Jesus, who was absolutely obedient to the Sermon on the Mount, was the greatest evangelist. But as far as I can tell, according to the historical record that we have, he wasn't. He wasn't during the time that he was here. Now, certainly after that, things have changed quite a bit, and the Lord Jesus is definitely the only one who draws people to himself. I understand that. I'm only saying this in the context of an example. As an example, if you want to look at him as an example and follow him as an example, then what makes you think that people are going to believe in him because of what you do when hardly anybody was willing to believe in him because of what he did? The fact that anybody believes in him is a total absolute miracle of God. It has been since then, and it is certainly still today. It is an absolute miracle of God that he directs people to believe in him. But in general, that's not because people look at him and say, Oh, look at how wonderful Jesus was here on earth. He was so holy and so righteous because he was so good. I want to be just like him. That's not what generally motivates people to become believers in Christ Jesus. And if it is, it's definitely either going to be short-lived or it's going to be an opportunity to develop a lot of pride within that person. The Lord Jesus wants us to come to him because we understand how depraved we truly are. And because we understand that we have a need for salvation. That's why he wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him for what he has to offer. What he has to offer is eternal life. He's not offering a better standard to live by. He's not offering a better example to follow. He's offering himself to you. He's not interested in what you're going to do for him. He's interested in what he is going to do for you. What he does within and through you certainly is a wonderful benefit and is a wonderful side effect, but that is not the real root issue of what is going on here when it comes to salvation and when it comes to reconciliation between you and your God. That's something completely different. And so it's my belief that people's attempt to utilize him as an example to follow so that perhaps we can be holy and righteous too, I think is absolute insanity. I mean, if you would really like to have a good example, just choose the Pharisees. They did pretty well on their own. In fact, they felt that they had already accomplished absolute righteousness because of what they did and what they didn't do. And so follow them. You might as well follow Pharisaical Judaism. In addition to Jesus or whatever you want to pick, it's still the same thing. It's the same theology. But my reason for saying this is only to say that if people did not believe in him back then, even while he was here personally, When he does establish himself as king, there's no reason to believe that people aren't going to turn away from him in the future. If people are still in the condition that they are in, being born into this world spiritually dead, still have to be reconciled to their God, if that really is the case, if that is the situation, then we should expect that after a period of time there would be enough people who would rebel against Jesus because that's how it was when he was here. And so that's what I'm trying to say is that if people rebelled against Jesus when he was here before, you should not be surprised if they still rebel against him when he comes here again. And I do believe that after his thousand-year reign, that will certainly be the case, and that is why it will happen. It's still because of the pride of humanity. It's still because people do believe that they can live on their own without their God. It's still because people want to have Things, or want to have possessions or want to have authority or they want to have power. And even if Jesus has it and Jesus exercises it fully and completely, there will be people who will want to have that position for themselves. There will be people who continually covet the things of the world. It will not be until the entire world is destroyed and remade that everything will change to such an extent where the opportunity for sin will be completely removed. And that's going to be unique, and I don't know how the Lord will do that, because as we know, the angels themselves, they rebelled, and that's where we get the devil and his angels from. And so even though they did not struggle with the same fleshly desires as we struggle with, the angels rebelled, and so who knows what that may look like. I am looking forward to seeing how those things will unfold. But what I can say with great confidence is that even though Jesus will be king, that doesn't mean that there still won't be trouble. When the Lord Jesus returns, he will definitely set all things right. He will definitely intervene and deal with the issues that need to be dealt with. The first set of issues that I believe that he's going to be addressing as the new king over all the kings in the earth is that he will punish all of the kings in the earth. He will definitely execute judgment and punishment to all the kings. And I believe that this will be an eternal judgment as well. If not at the time when he initiates his thousand-year reign, it will definitely happen at the end of his thousand-year reign. But whenever that happens, he will execute judgment against all kings who were never under the authority of anybody else or who experienced the judgment of anybody else. He will set things right. In Psalms 2, This is Psalms 2, verse 7. It says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Verse 9. This is Psalms 2, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. But those who don't, these kings and these judges who don't, will definitely experience his wrath they will be judged and they will be punished for all of their wicked deeds. That is something that they can definitely look forward to. And those of us who have been oppressed by them can look forward to that as well. And I realize that some of us are probably thinking it sure would be nice if that would happen right now because we are experiencing a great deal of pain and suffering in the midst of these circumstances right now. But please understand that this is not heaven You are not going to live here forever. The Lord is going to take you out of here. You are only here for a period of time because there are other things that he is doing. There are other things that he is addressing. And you should be thankful that you have the privilege of being a part of it, even if you are experiencing a great deal of suffering and oppression at the hands of wicked judges and wicked kings. Because when he takes you out of here, he's going to remove you from all of this, and then you're going to come back. And you're going to be a part of this thousand year reign. And when you are, you will then have a thousand years, not just fifty years or a hundred years at the most, perhaps. You will have a thousand years to enjoy your life here on earth, with Jesus as your king. In the Psalms in Psalm seventy two, verses seven and eight. This is Psalm seventy two verses seven and eight. It says, In his days. May the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You will have a wonderful opportunity to flourish and have an abundance of peace. And what does that mean flourish? Well, that means that you will be able to live. You'll probably have children, perhaps. I don't know what that will look like, but you will definitely be able to live a life here on earth. You'll be able to work. You'll have an opportunity to work. And not only that, but you will have the opportunity to keep what you earn. Imagine that. What an unusual situation and an unusual circumstance. I really believe that the people who labor will be able to keep the things that they produce or will be able to decide what they want to do with those things that they produce. In other words, will there be taxes? I honestly don't know. There probably won't be taxes. If there is, there may be something that looks like the tithe. But even if there is a tithe, hey, 10% is certainly a lot better than the 30 or 60 or 70 or whatever it's going to be in the future. Who knows what the tax rates may change to. But we certainly will be able to flourish. The only way we can flourish is if we are able to be the beneficiaries of our labor, If the people can be the beneficiaries of their labor and not have to give that to somebody else, then they have an opportunity to flourish. And this is the important thing, and that is that if a person is not able to benefit from their personal labor, then they will not flourish. When Jesus returns, people will flourish. The righteous will flourish. The unrighteous will not be able to flourish. Who are the unrighteous? Well, in this context, the unrighteous are the people who live off of the labor of somebody else. Those are the unrighteous, and they either live off of the labor of somebody else by stealing it from them, by taking it from them directly, or perhaps taking their wealth from them indirectly through the use of government. Jesus will not permit that anymore. Jesus will not take from the wealth of those people who earn it who produce it, who develop it, and give it to those people who don't work, who don't produce, who don't labor. He will not do that because that is definitely unrighteous. That is evil. It is absolute, complete evil to do that. He will not allow that to happen anymore. I really do believe that. And because of that, those who are righteous will flourish and those who are unrighteous will finally not flourish. At last, Another prophecy that is given in Jeremiah by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. This is Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. When he returns, people will be able to flourish, and they will also be able to dwell in safety. They will be able to dwell with security. There will be no opportunity for the unrighteous to invade on those who are righteous, to intervene in the lives of the righteous people. People will finally be able to live in peace and with safety and security. They will be able to keep what they have earned, and they will be able to enjoy the thousand years that Jesus rules as king. The righteous will, of course. The unrighteous, on the other hand, will be quite unhappy, to say the least. And then continuing into the prophets, in the prophet Daniel, in Daniel's book, Daniel chapter 7, Verse 13, this is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In verse 13, this reference to the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, expressing that he was going to be the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. But he says very clearly here that people will serve him, that the people will then serve him As their king, that's verse 14, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So we will be serving the Lord Jesus. And what that will look like, I honestly don't know, because again, things will be changed. Things will be very different. What they will look like, we only have a foreshadowing of the reality is something that we have to really wait for. I do personally believe that just by living righteously, just by living a life of dependency on Christ Jesus and enjoying Him as your King, I believe that that is service. I believe that that is the greatest service that we can have For the Lord Jesus. A lot of people are preoccupied with serving Him in the sense of going out and evangelizing, for example, and I believe that that's very important. Or they believe in service and supporting those who are evangelizing, and I believe that's important also. Or that people believe they are serving God by doing good things for other people, and I believe that to an extent as well. But what our God wants of us, more than anything, is not our service. But He wants us to receive what He is giving to us. Because if we will receive what He is giving to us, then He will meet the deepest needs of our hearts. And when the deepest needs of our hearts are met, it is then that we will serve others out of a pure heart. We will not serve others out of a desire to try to gain favor with God or to be pleasing to God or out of a desire to be holy or righteous, or anything like that. It will simply be the natural result of the change that he does in our hearts through fulfilling the deepest needs that we have. And so, for that reason, I sincerely believe that if anyone has a desire to serve God, they must first be served by their God. Then, they will receive all that they need out of the abundance of what he has. They will receive so much more than what they truly need and will have no alternative then but to give to others out of the abundance of what they have been given by their God. If a person has not received out of the abundance of what the Lord our God has for us, if they have not received that, then they definitely will not be able to serve others with the service of God. They will only be able to serve others out of the energy of their flesh. I'd like to say that again to emphasize the point, and that is that if you do not receive out of the abundance of what he has for you, then any attempt you make to serve your God will only be out of the energy of your own flesh, and that will be ugly, to say the least. The real service out of a pure and true heart only happens, is only a reality When you are at peace with your God through the Lord Jesus. I believe that's the purpose that he is going to have in our lives, especially when he is here on earth. And for that reason, I can say that people, while they will be able to flourish out of their own actions, choices, decisions, and activity, and in that sense, they can serve themselves in a certain way, but I do sincerely believe that everyone out of their lives will serve others. And in that way, they will be serving the Lord Jesus in fulfillment of the prophecy given in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. I am, of course, running out of time for this broadcast, and so I'm going to have to bring it to a close. One thing that I would like to mention is Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 14 through 20 that I would like to refer you to that. That's Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 14 through 20. Especially these verses, because this is the warning that was given by God to the people with regards to the setting up of a king. That eventually they would want to set up a king for themselves, and He gives a distinct warning to them concerning that. And of course, no one has ever really seemed to have taken that warning very seriously, but I do believe that that will give you some greater insights, because it is through that warning, it is through this warning that he does explain why a king, or why a kingdom, or any government for that matter, why they will fail, why they will eventually decay and become completely corrupted. It has to do with the desires of people's flesh, and so I really wanted to mention these verses. But in closing, I would like to refer to Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, because it is here that the Lord speaks of the reign that he is going to have. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. That when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, his mode of ministry certainly changed from being a prophet to a priest. And he is now relating to us Primarily as a priest, as the greatest priest. However, when he returns, he's then going to be functioning as a king. And his kingdom will have no end. When he returns, that will be the end of all rebellion. Except, of course, for the end of his thousand-year reign. But after that, of course, in spite of that, he will definitely rule and reign for all eternity. His kingdom will have no end. And this is something that we can look forward to, that we can trust in, and we can rely on and have faith in and recognize that in the midst of the sufferings that we experience now, there are greater opportunities for Him to show us the reality of who He is and the reality of who He will be. And through that, we can know our God in a more personal way. But in the midst of that, in the midst of recognizing what he is going to do in the future. Do not lose sight of what he has already done in the past so that you can enjoy what he has given to you right now. You must still continue to live in the reality of today, for tomorrow will take care of itself, and the Lord will definitely take care of it.